good to be with you all tonight. Um, I, you know, Carrie said when I walked in that uh, this is kind of one of those times where, you know, it's the high time of the semester and he called y'all the faithful remnant. Uh, but I think y'all are probably just the brave, right, to come to a talk on pornography. And if you didn't know, we're talking about porn tonight. Uh, and so I'm not assuming, if you're sitting here, that you're addicted to porn and you're, by you being in the chairs doesn't mean like we're at a self-help group right now. Uh, but as believers, like, we need to talk frankly about this. And so, man, uh, I'm looking forward to it. And in the weirdest of ways, I've been, like, looking forward to tonight and uh, looking forward to just an opportunity to break bread with you guys, hear about, uh, man, just where y'all are at in your studies, where God's leading you. And uh, so, yeah, with that being said, we're just going to kind of jump in. Uh, I think I might be qualified uh, to have, like, these awkward conversations because my mom that's a scary sound. My mom, uh, right, she was a high school nurse, um, and my high school nurse, which like the pro was like, you get a free microwave uh, at lunchtime, you show up, it's like, mom, can I like warm something up, and can I get some lunch money? And she was like, of course. So she hooked me up. But then the con was uh, every year, the sex talk was given by my mom. So like, you can imagine, I'm sitting in the back row like this, watching, as my mom gets up and shows these horrific pictures of STDs, and just like, she begins, and like, good for my mom, she just begins by telling the room, all right, we know this is awkward, so on the count of three, everyone yelled penis. And so she goes, one, two, three, and the whole, everyone in the audience is like, penis! And they're yelling it, and I'm just in the back like, God, please save me from this life you've given to me. Uh, <clears throat> but that being said, I want to I talk frankly tonight, you know, and I, I was even talking to one of my buddies before I came in, and I was like, man, I don't know how to balance, like, the, the weightiness of pornography, recognizing that this is something that all of us feel in some sense, and are either currently walking through or have friends that are currently walking through this, while at the same time, like, what does brevity look like in this situation? So, y'all just roll with me in this. Uh, I, I first want to begin by saying, as uh, I've been studying and just kind of preparing for this. I was kind of shocked. Uh, yesterday, there came out like a, a big news story from Utah um, where their governor has worked with their legislate, legislators to put forward a new piece of legislation that says porn is a health risk for children. It's a health risk for teenagers, and we need to do something about it from a strictly public health perspective. Like it's causing addictions, it's causing rewiring of the brain, and so like legislators are getting together and they're not saying anything about the morality, like whether it's actually right or wrong, but they're more so addressing it from like a public health perspective, like almost akin to like drugs and alcohol and saying, hey, just as these things need to be, uh, le uh, you know, s specific legislation around how we protect people, we need to do the same on porn, which I thought was really fascinating that these are people who aren't necessarily coming from a Christian worldview, but are just looking at porn from a, a health perspective and saying, look, it's not really working or delivering on its promises and it's actually causing a lot of harm. So with about 15 minutes, we could say plenty about porn, right? Like the world is already talking about it. We could talk about it from the health perspective, we could talk about it from a financial perspective and like the billions and billions of dollars it makes. Um, we could talk about it from a social perspective on how its tentacles are wrapped around uh, the human trafficking industry. Um, I was actually in New York recently and talked to 
a crew of folks who work with women who come out of human trafficking, and they said that they have never met a person who has either um, bought uh, or pimped out someone who hasn't been addicted to pornography. So it creates a constant supply of people who are ready to spend money on children or on women um, in terms of sex trafficking. <clears throat> I say all that to say, man, how do you begin to address something so massive as that in 15 minutes? I would argue what we need to do most and what needs to be preeminent for us right now is not to think through all the social implications, all the statistical implications, but we need to think through the spiritual implications of what it means as a believer to think about what is porn uh, from a biblical perspective, although the Bible would never talk about videos or images of porn. It uses the word porneia for sexual immorality all the time and speaks to some of the things that are in our hearts. And so tonight we're going to look at it just from a kind of a spiritual perspective. If you're not a Christian in here and you're just kind of hearing this, man, uh, I get it that this sounds kind of crazy talk but recognize that I'm speaking from uh, what I believe to be the foundation of kind of my own worldview, which is the Bible, and I believe that Jesus got up out of the grave, and so what he says is important to how we view this topic. Um, in addition, I would also say I've never met someone whose life has been changed um, by just hearing about the billions of dollars spent on porn. Like, we sit here and we get it. And what we really need is to properly diagnose what's going on in our hearts when we view porn. And we need to properly uh, address what's the cure. Like, what's the actual hope that we have as believers? And so that's kind of where we're headed tonight. Um, proper diagnosis and the cure. Um, there's a really famous uh, dead Puritan preacher um, named Thomas Chalmers. And he wrote this really powerful sermon called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And here was his thesis. He says this. He says, tell someone to stop sinning, and at best they may do so reluctantly or partially, but give them a vision of knowing God and his glory, and they'll gladly root out all that gets in the way of their relationship with God. And so his thesis was that, you know, it's, it's one thing as a moralist to say, hey, this is bad, you shouldn't do it, and just try to work harder, get better at it. But what happened over time is we all feel convicted, we feel it for a little bit, and then the same problems creep back in. The same thing starts to grow back into our hearts. And so what actually has to happen is not just uprooting it, it actually is replacing it with a brand new affection that's way more powerful, way more beautiful, and way more exciting than that previous thing that we were running after, that previous thing that we were looking at. And so I hope that as we kind of talk tonight, we begin to feel what Thomas Chalmers was talking about, an expulsive power of a new affection. Um, so that being said, man, I just I want to pray for us, and then we'll kind of diagnose the problem, and we'll kind of get after the cure and see what the Bible would have to say to us. Oh God, I feel just the weightiness of how massive this problem has been, even in my own life. I stand up here feeling, um, in some sense, that I might be the most disqualified person to speak to this. While at the same time, Jesus, I'm thankful that you've called me. You've, you've given me new eyes and a new heart and a heart that, um, although I fail, I see this as something that dishonors you and I want to kill it. And I want something else that's so much better than what I've been running after, God. And I want new life, a new affection. So God, I pray that for my own heart and I pray that for the men and women sitting in this room. I pray that tonight might be a simple 
moment that they might look back on and there might have been a new light bulb that went off in their head and God ultimately in their heart that you give them a new heart for Christ and for a, 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 an image of him that usurps or gets rid of any desire to run after smaller, less exciting, less beautiful images. Because Jesus, you are the most beautiful, preeminent image that we could ever set our eyes on. So Jesus, be with us tonight through your spirit and uh, teach us from your word. Pray this in your name, amen. Well, uh, my dad, every Saturday, uh, would make us do work projects. Um, that was something like in uh, the Polk household was like a common thing. So my friends knew like Friday night, you don't spend the night at Daniel's house because the next morning his dad's going to make you do a work project. Um, and so we, w one of the many work projects we would do is we would go to our garden, which was a garden is a, uh, not the best term for this plot of land in our um, backyard. Uh, we'd go to the garden and my dad would say, all right, Daniel, start, uh, if, go ahead and start like uprooting all the weeds in there. And when you think weed, like usually we think a little tiny uh, piece of, of grass. This is like massive, ugly plants that have taken terrible roots inside this ugly plot of land. And so you'd have to wear gloves and get in there. And if you weren't pulling it up at the base of the weed, we all know it comes right back. But I think what my dad didn't necessarily connect is it's not okay to just pull up the weeds. Like you actually have to plant something, dad, in the garden. Otherwise the weeds will keep coming back. So again, what I learned very quickly from a young age was like work projects are a part of like what it meant to be a Polk. Like we do this, we share family responsibility. But I learned a lot about uh, like it's, it's not okay to just pull things up half-heartedly. You had to get down deep, it took work, and then ultimately you had to replant it with something else to take that place, actually soak in the nutrients and actually do what the soil was meant to do. Um, and I say that because, uh, segue, there's a garden, oh my gosh, I thought this was gonna be like such a beautiful segue. There's a garden way long ago, and now you're like, oh my gosh, I know which garden he's talking about. Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve are sitting there, and they hear from the serpent, from Satan, did God really tell you this? And in that garden, what Adam and Eve faced in terms of temptation was a temptation that you and I still face today. Did God really tell you that sex is something for marriage? Did God really tell you that porn is actually that bad? Did God really say that there's better pleasure to be had between a committed man and woman together in a faithful marriage? Did he really say that? And if he did, does he actually know what he's talking about? Who's God to say that? I mean, look around, like the world's having plenty of fun. Is sex something that's a covenantal gift, or is it actually maybe a consumer good, like a piece of candy to be used and then just disposed of when you're done? Friends, the, the same strategy, the same playbook that Satan used in the garden at the very beginning of time is the same playbook that he uses for you and I, specifically with pornography. His playbook hasn't changed because he knows the biggest, some of the biggest desires of within our human heart is pleasure and pride. And he, he tempts our ego to say that you deserve this, that sex isn't meant to be a sacrificial thing where you tenderly serve another person, your spouse. It's meant to be a hunter and prey type of thing where you get what you want and when you want and how you want it with whoever you want. And so this begins to expose the wicked underbelly behind pornography. 
because I guarantee you've never viewed a porno pornographic video or image that's actually modeling God's design for sex. What it's doing is it's actually selling you a false truth or a false uh, lie, so to say. What it's doing is um, it's a set of lies that have been curated or crafted by Satan being acted out on the screen, whether they know it or not, by actors and actresses who are giving fake uh, sounds and expressions, ultimately to set forward a piece of propaganda that's an all-out assault on how God has created man, how God has created woman, how God has created marriage, how God has created sex, how God has created pleasure to work. Pornography is not just a simple, small um, thing that we run to whenever we're stressed out. It's actually a piece of propaganda from Satan that we consume that is an all-out war on God's design for faithful, joyful, beautiful sex within marriage. And God knows what he's doing with sex. Like, God created Adam and Eve, and he wasn't uh, shocked to, like, look down, like, wasn't in a conversation with the angels and then turn and was like, oh, my gosh, what are they doing down there? Like, God looks at Adam and Eve, and he actually calls it beautiful and right for a man and a woman wed together, covenanted together, say, look, there is no other. It's you. And to give one another tenderly to one another and serve one another in the way that he created their bodies. God does not hate sex. He hates um, faithless sex with forbidden partners. God loves sex. He created sex. It's a, beauty, a beautiful thing that he, he makes to bond a husband and wife. And ultimately, as I was talking earlier with some of um, y'all's staff, y'all talked about this, like that it's a reflection of intimacy. But what's so crazy and epic about God and the way he creates it is it's not just a reflection of intimacy between a husband and wife. It's actually biblically a reflection of the intimacy of Jesus and his church, which is really, really wild. Like Paul says in Ephesians 5 that this is a mystery. It's hard to understand. It seems kind of weird when we start talking about Jesus and the church and sex. But it's actually what Paul's saying there. If you read it closely, he's saying that the bond and the joy and the covenant that happens in sex between a husband and wife, self-giving one another, um, serving, not seeking to take for oneself, but to give to one another and to serve them is actually the most beautiful display of how Jesus lays down his life and pursues his bride, gives himself to her, and ultimately in that has this beautiful pleasure. Sex is meant to reflect the beautiful intimacy of Jesus in the church, which is his people, you and me. So even as you're single in here, which I, I'm sure most of you are as college students, dude, if you're a part of the church, meaning you're a believer, you've got Jesus. And Jesus says that pleasure is like the same level of intimacy that you get to have with sex. And I know that sex is still an incredible thing because I'm a married man, and I love that that's a gift that God's given to my wife and I. But even as a single, you get to enjoy being wed to Christ, being a part of his church, receiving his blessing, receiving the joy and pleasure of being known by the maker of the universe. And he actually knows you. He knows you in your um, nakedness, so to say, like your spiritual nakedness. He knows you for everything you are. And yet he still loves you. And he still pursues you. And he doesn't give up on you. He continues to give himself to you. That's pretty beautiful, right? 
So as a single, I just want to encourage you to say, marriage isn't going to solve the sexual need that you have. Um, it's, it's a gift, and it's an important part of a marriage, but there will continue to be temptation to seek a sexual fill outside of your marriage. And so we as believers must come back to Jesus and say, Jesus, if this is supposed to reflect you in the church, will you fill me? Will you give me the satisfaction that I'm longing for? That wasn't in my notes, but I thought it was important to say. Uh, Satan, uh, he knows all this. He knows that that's the beautiful display of Christ in the church, and he hates it. And so porn is just one of the tools that Satan uses, like we talked about, to have an all-out war against this picture. Um, And we know that his lies don't work. Like, if you're like me, you've run to porn thinking it was going to satisfy you, and then very shortly after, you know how... Uh, although it might have been exhilarating in that moment, how empty it is. Satan's lies to Adam and to Eve led to emptiness. It led to brokenness. It led to shame and exhaustion. And his lies still don't work today, yet we still come back to it. Um, Like a dog, the scriptures would say, would return to its vomit. We still keep coming back to these like gross places to drink out of, thinking it's going to satisfy us. When Jesus says, man, I've got better water for you, dude. Don't run to that. And so I, we've diagnosed porn, like that's kind of the main issue with porn. It's this all-out lie, all-out assault on God's picture for Christ and his church, but we need to diagnose our hearts. And so I want to take a second to go to the scriptures. Uh, if you've got a phone, I want you to actually track along with me so you can see the connection in the text. We're going to go to James chapter 3, or if you've got your Bible, go there. James chapter 3, and we're going to go to verse 13 through 16, and I want you to see this connection that the Bible is going to say about our hearts. It's going to diagnose our hearts. And ultimately, I'm going to make this statement. So James chapter 3. I want to say before we read, if you look at porn, you are an arrogant person. And when I say that, it, it doesn't sit right. Like, that's not a popular message to hear. We think, no, maybe I'm a lonely person, maybe I'm just a tired, uh, stressed out person, but Daniel, I'm not arrogant. I would say, and the scriptures are going to say here, that if you look at porn, you're actually an arrogant, greedy person. So let's read from the text. I don't want this to be my opinion. I want us to see what Jesus says about our hearts. Let's diagnose them properly. So here it is, James chapter 3, verse 13. Through 16. Who is wise and understanding among you? By this good conduct, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. And here's our verse, verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there's going to be disorder and every vile practice. So what God is doing is he's actually connecting the dots for us here, is if porn is a, a disorder, which we talked about at the very beginning, <laughs> we're now having like medical people say, yeah, it's actually becoming a disorder, The scriptures would be clear that sexual immorality and pornea is wrapped up into this, is a disorder, and it's vile practice. What does it flow out of? Look back at verse 16. 
It comes from jealousy. I said envy a verse earlier. So we could, we could even say greed in that sense. And selfish ambition. Arrogance. Putting oneself first. Your own selfish ambition, your own pride is what's leading to you running after vile things. Selfish ambition, envy, greed, and arrogance. And then he, he kind of, what, what I want us to begin to see is like the root here isn't necessarily like, oh, I've just got this porn problem. Um, I've got an issue with like how I view women. Sure. But what the scriptures are clear on is what that's being birthed out of is just a heart that's an arrogant heart. And so this kind of heart is at the root of a person who views it. You can't be a humble person who wants to serve Jesus and others when you use images of naked men and women having sex, trying to please yourself and gratify yourself. That vile practice flows from a greedy and arrogant heart. If you look at porn, in that moment, you care nothing about the design of God. You care nothing about the dignity of the person you're viewing. You arrogantly defy God's commands, rejecting the delight of sexual intimacy and joy within marriage. You arrogantly decide that what you want, when you want, how you want, is preeminent in that moment. You arrogantly see people on the screen as just disposable, as a means to serve you and your needs. And friends, this is the heart of greed. It's what I want, when I want, how I want. Arrogance says people, they work to serve me. I'm what deserves to be worshipped. I'm the arrogant one. They need to worship me. And that's what we're believing every time we look at this on on our phones, on our computers, whatever it is. I want to say you can't be humble and look at porn at the same time. You can't look at Christ and look at porn at the same time. You're going to have to take your eyes off of one to look at the other. And I want to just say, like, that's actually a part of our hearts. And we need to be really honest with, like, that's the ugly evil inside of us, right, that's happening in that moment. That's a massive, massive problem when porn is so readily available for us because our hearts are that wicked. And so is there any cure? Like, right now, everyone feels really convicted. It's like, oh, my gosh, I've got massive evil in my heart. Is there any hope for us? I want you to... Uh, I was going to say flip back, but you might need to scroll back. Uh, A couple books to your left to Titus. This is another letter written um, to the believers in the early church. So Titus chapter 3. And this is where we're going to begin to see the cure and the hope for us if you're in Christ. So Titus 3, verses 3 through 8. Here's what it says. For we ourselves were once foolish. Check. Disobedient check, led astray and slaves to various passions and pleasures. Yeah. Passing our days with malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. We're going to stop right there. First, let's consider sin. Before we get to the good part, the beautiful part, this, the salvation, we need to consider sin. So as you've been enslaved to various passions, i.e. porn, whatever it is that you're running to, I want to ask you this, and it seems a little weird. Where do you see malice in your life? And where do you see envy in your life? Because again, this might sound kind of out of left field, but malice is wishing harm upon other people, like wishing bad for them, and envy is wishing good for yourself. We've already talked about when you're looking at porn, what you're kind of wanting to do is wanting that image to worship you and to give you what you feel like you deserve in that moment. 
But the scriptures would say, hey, there's also malice in your life. This is true of us. There's also envy. So malice, I just kind of want to ask, like, and you don't need to raise your hand. Do you ever feel that ugly feeling in your heart where, like, even if they're your friend or, like, a family member, like, fails at school or, like, fails in a particular way that you're like, ha, 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 you messed up, dude. You didn't get that internship you wanted, and I might have that opportunity. Or maybe there's someone you're competing with in your class, and you kind of have this sense of, like, uh, I don't want evil on them, but, God, I'm not going to be angry if, like, you let them not get this thing that I actually want. That's, ma- that's malice in our hearts. Envy. Man, excuse me, this one will preach, right? Like, envy, do you want something that someone else has? Like, do you want their looks? Do you want their reputation? Do you want their, uh, man, stuff or, like, their humor and their platform? Man, this one is like drawing a big X on my heart. I struggle with envy a ton. And what the scriptures would say is out of an arrogant, greedy heart flow these things. And so your problem isn't just a porn problem. My problem's not just a porn problem. I think a lot of guys tend to think, well, if I just haven't looked at porn in the last couple months, I'm good. You probably got a lot of other arrogant places in your life, whether you, don't, whether you think you're an arrogant person or not, you probably have some envious spots in your life. So I want us to think with a holistic picture tonight of sin, that it's way deeper, its tentacles are wrapped around all kinds of stuff, and porn's just one of those pieces that's attached to a greedy, evil, arrogant posture before God. And so let's get to the good part. Let's consider salvation. This is verses 4 through 7, and we'll kind of wrap all of this up together. Here's what it says. This is like one of the most beautiful couple verses in all of Scripture. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Dang, that's good news. Believer, I want you to consider your salvation. You were a wretched sinner in need of massive, massive help, and you could do nothing for yourself. And what verse 7, 4, excuse me, what verse 4 said is it, it just appeared. The goodness and loving kindness of our Savior appears in your life. And he saves you, not because you're like worthy enough, not because you're strong enough to pull yourself out of your porn problem. He just shows up and he saves you. That's our God. He doesn't save you because you deserve it. We have a merciful, kind, loving, loving God. And Jesus does it out of joy. He doesn't do it out of obligation. Like, man, I'm glad I saved Carrie, but this Daniel guy who struggles here, fine. Father, if you want me to save him, I'll do it. That's not Jesus' posture. He walks to the cross with his eyes set on the cross saying, no, man, I died for that one. Sure, he's a wretch. Sure, he's got issues. Sure, he doesn't want me. But you know what? I want him. And so, friends, you need to consider your salvation. The only way that we're going to begin to get a new taste, a new affection, is if we set our eyes on the beauty of Jesus and all that he's accomplished for you. Not because you were worthy. He just straight loved you enough to give himself for you. Um, I want you to look at verse 6. Excuse me, let's go to verse 5. It says, 
He saved us, not because of our works done in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. And then look at this phrase, by the washing, which means he washed you clean, he saved you, and the regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, does, not only does he save you, he transforms you. Like, with the same grace. So he saves you. You're now a believer in Christ. You're still struggling with your porn problem. And what the Bible would say is that he's actually going to renew you and regenerate you and continue to bring uh, new life into your heart. The scriptures are clear that what God starts, he finishes. That should be an incredible breath of fresh air for you and me tonight. If you're struggling with porn in any way, Jesus' salvation is not just something done in the past tense. It's something he's doing in the present tense. And friends, one day it's something he's going to do forever in the future tense. It's incredible good news that we are set free and we're actually transformed. That should humble us. We should realize that, man, Jesus, you're so, so kind. And How can we respond? If this truth rests into our heart, we're going to begin to combat the propaganda of pornography. This is the expulsive power of a new affection, a new view of Jesus. And how do we respond? Look at verse 8. Verse 8 says this, that saying is trustworthy, meaning take it to the bank. This is going to clear. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful, look at this, to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable to people. So this is really trippy. He says, consider your sin, consider your salvation, and now consider service. Because you've been saved, believer, your response should be, I want to serve. I want to do good works for others. It's not only profitable for them, it's profitable for me. And so how do you cut down the tree of pride in your heart? How do you cut down the tree of arrogance in your heart? Friends, you do it with the acts of humility, seeking to humbly serve others instead of being served by them. Remember, porn's attached to arrogance. So I want you to think, man, what are practical ways I can be a really humble person this week and seek to put others first and not myself first? That might seem unrelated to porn, but the more you seek to serve other people and put their needs first, it's going to start changing your heart that you actually want to begin rejecting that desire for porn. Because you're, you're no longer an arrogant person. You're becoming changed in your heart. How do you dig up the roots of greed in your heart? Friends, you do it with a shovel of gratitude. Gratitude says, I'm content with what I got. Thank you, Jesus, that you've given me this life. Discontentment comes out of greed, saying, man, Jesus, I wish you would have made me differently. I wish you would have made my body like him or her, and I wish I could have this type of sexual experience right now. Man, you can't be a, a person full of gratitude when you're looking at porn. So how do we do it? How do we uproot it? Do it with a, with a shovel of gratitude. And I say that not to be like cheesy tongue-in-cheek. It means think of practical ways in your life. Make a list. Start praying and thanking Jesus for all the ways he's given so much stuff to you. Not only your salvation, but all the ways that he's made you, you. A heart of gratitude. It's the affection for the person of Jesus, marveling at him and his beauty, his power, his kindness, his love, and ultimately his example that's going to free us from porn. So I want to end by just reading this text. You don't need to turn there. Um, receive this. Receive this text over you, knowing that Jesus came to do this for you amidst all of our junk, amidst all of our pride and arrogance. Philippians says this. It says, do nothing 
from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, through the form, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name, so that his name, every knee should bow, in heaven, on earth, and under earth, so that every tongue, every um, hand, every eye, every piece of your body could one day confess that Jesus Christ is Lord here. To him be the glory forever and ever. Let's pray. God, I pray for my friends right now that if they have some scaled down version of Jesus in their mind and in their lives where Jesus is just some, uh, uh, some distant uh, thing to be thought about every now and then in their lives, Jesus, I pray that you would flex and show yourself to them in the most beautiful, most majestic of ways, that you would start to reshape the vision of who you are and what you came to do. You came not for your own self, not for your own greed, but to pour yourself out for others. I pray that we might have a heart that first receives that and then out of that wants to have a same heart. Because God, when we have that heart that only you can give us, we're not gonna want these trivial things, God. We're not gonna want cheap drinks. We're gonna wanna drink from the only fountain that can satisfy us, from the only relationship that can actually um, speak life into us. So Jesus, forgive us. You say you do. Would you apply that to our hearts in a way that we feel maybe for the first time that we are free, that we are not in bondage to sin, but we're actually in bondage to you and you're the best master and that what you say is actually true. The things and the images and the videos we've seen are a lie. Jesus, give us more of yourself, free us from our grip on porn and instead tighten our grasp on you as our Savior that we might be changed by you. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.